0: When I was a kid, one of the games that we would play in the swimming pool was called Marco Polo. And and the point of this game was the person who was it would, would close their eyes. And then everyone else would swim around the pool. And you would try, the person who was it would try to find one person. And then once they tagged that person, they would become it. And the way that they did this was the person would say Marco. The person who was it would say Marco. And then everyone else would respond Polo. And you just kept doing that the whole time until you were able to find someone and and that's how you were able to to play the game. And every once in a while the people who weren't it would play this trick where they just wouldn't say anything at all and the person who's just shouting Polo, Polo or Marco, Marco, Marco is just swimming around looking for people and can't find them and the the thing was is like if you didn't hear the voice, you couldn't play the game. Like it wasn't a lot of fun to be calling Marco and swimming around the pool when no one was responding. And in our story with, with, uh, with Jonah, like Jonah gets to hear God's voice. And if you're a lot like me, like you read stories about people who have heard directly from God and you, you think like, well, that would be nice. It would be nice if God just showed up and started talking to me as well. It'd be nice if I could just hear the voice and know which direction that I needed to go, kind of like the, the Marco Polo game. But here's the thing, what we see with Jonah and what we see throughout the Bible is anytime God calls us to do something. It almost always challenges our comfort zone. It almost always moves us out of the place that we're comfortable into a place that is a little more uncomfortable. Because the thing is like nothing great or extraordinary happens within our comfort zone. And like we could say the thing of, about Jonah. Like Jonah was probably before God showed up, he was probably comfortable. I mean, he was a prophet in Judah, like he was probably happy there. People weren't exactly listening to his message, but I'm sure he had his life, he's possibly a family, had a routine, he was just pretty comfortable there. And then God shows up and he tells him to go to Nineveh. God shows up and challenges Jonah's comfort zone and says, This is where I am I'm sending you. And Jonah, he basically responds, like, no thanks, God. Not gonna do that. In fact, I'm gonna do the complete opposite. So Jonah goes and he gets on a boat and he he flees from God and God's like, yeah, not gonna happen. And God sends this storm and and it stops Jonah in his tracks. And Jonah gets thrown into the sea, and God provides a a fish to swallow him, keep him safe. And Jonah hangs out in the depths of the sea for a few days and and as he's there, he begins to pray. He begins to repent. And where we left Jonah last week is in Jonah chapter 2, verse 10 the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah back on the beach. So that's where Jonah lays. That's where Jonah is. He's hanging out on the beach. The, spit, the, the fish has spit him back out. And, and that's where we left Jonah. And as we dive into Jonah chapter 3 today, what we're going to see is there are really there's three main characters. That we see in in Jonah chapter three. There's two secondary characters and a primary character. And so we're gonna look at each one of these. The first is the person you probably would guess immediately, it's it's Jonah. And and Jonah is one of the, the secondary characters. He's not the most important character in this chapter. But as we as we read through it, like there's a lot that we can glean and we can learn about Jonah. But since he's like the least significant of the three in this chapter, we're gonna spend the least amount of time on him but what we find Jonah is he's hanging out on the beach God shows up says Jonah go to Nineveh this is what I want you to do God gives him the same command he gives him the same commission and Jonah goes and this time Jonah does some things differently the last time God told Jonah to go to Nineveh Jonah says no thanks and he heads the opposite direction this time Jonah obeys so listen to verse 3 of chapter 3 this time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command, and he went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. So this time it's different. He goes this time, and you know, like, Jonah isn't insane, and we know the definition of insanity is doing the same thing again and again, expecting different results. Like, Jonah has already learned what happens when he tries to avoid this calling that God has for him. He's already learned like he's not going to be able to avoid where God has called him. And so, so Jonah goes. And I guess like if you've spent some time in, a, in the belly of a fish, like you would basically do anything the person told you to do who kept you alive. And so he listens. And we have to give Jonah a little bit of credit for that. Like he doesn't rebel this time. Jonah goes and he does things differently. He changes. He, he actually takes the, the hundreds of kilometer trip to Nineveh. And he goes to, to preach there for him, or for, for the Ninevites. He isn't really like, he doesn't really want to go, but God he he knows there's no way for him to avoid this anymore. Like he's already learned, if God wants him to go there, he is going to go there. And so so Jonah goes, he does things differently. And as he goes, in verse four, here's what it says. It says, On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. And, and that's, that's the sermon. Listen to the sermon again. 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. That's five words in the Hebrew. Now, did Jonah say more than that? It's possible. It's probably, it's probable that Jonah said more than that. But it seems like he's just so minimal. It seems like Jonah is barely really speaking. It's, it seems like Jonah is, isn't doing a whole lot. And I think the author of this, of this letter, of this, this writing, this book, is being very intentional about what they are sharing. They are making sure, they, they want us to see something. They want us to see this tiny little statement that Jonah preaches. They want us to see that. And I think there's some things that we can draw from this. He's trying to draw our attention to a few things. First of all, is like, Jonah's heart, it isn't in it. Like, yes, Jonah went, but his heart isn't in it. He's not really wanting to be there. Like he's there because he has to be, but he doesn't want to be. So his heart isn't in it. The next thing we see with Jonah is like he just does the the bare minimum. He literally speaks these five words that we have recorded, and and like that's that's it. And, and Jonah like he knows I can't get away from this, so I'm just going to do my duty and I'm going to go home. I'm going to do the least that I can do, and then I'm going to go home. God said that I had to go. He didn't say that I had to care for the people. God said that I had to go speak to them, but he didn't say that I had to love them. God said that I have to go and, and share this message, but it doesn't mean they have to get involved in their lives. And so Jonah just goes, he speaks this message, and he is ready to go home. And in chapter 2, Jonah very well may have been repentant. But if we miss what is happening here in chapter 3, verse 4, like what's going to ready, get ready to come in chapter 4 is going to come as quite a surprise, to us. It'll, it'll be quite a shock if we don't, if we don't see this minimal action that, that Jonah has, this lack of really caring, his, this heart that really isn't in it. Like He doesn't really grasp, he, he doesn't really get it. He's going out of duty, out of nothing more, and that's why he's there. And here's a, here's a good reminder for us, is even though Jonah does the bare minimum, even though Jonah's heart isn't in it, the incredible thing happens is that the Ninevites still believe the message. The Ninevites still turn. The Ninevites still repent. And it's a good reminder for us is that, that God is in the business of heart transformation. It's not always up, it's not up to us. Like God is the one who is changing people's hearts. And God can use anyone. He's using Jonah, doing the bare minimum, to change an entire city for them. And so, we, that's Jonah, the second character that we're going to see in the story is the Ninevites. And we're going to really kind of capture the Ninevites with, with the king of Nineveh. And we're going to kind of look through him and see how he kind of responds and he reacts the, entire, the same way that the entire city of Nineveh does. And so the first thing that we find about the Ninevites is in verse 5 that they hear the message, they hear these five words, and they believe. So here's what verse 5 says. It says, the people of Nineveh believe God's message. From the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. And so they, they hear Jonah's message and they believe. And there's a little line that, that we see here in verse five that I want to make sure that we, we catch. It's from the greatest to the least. Don't miss that. There is no social standing When it comes to sin, there is no like this person is more important. So their sin is less significant or this person is less important. So their sin is a bigger deal. All sin is a big deal. All sin makes us guilty. There is no social standing here from the greatest to the least. Everyone is fasting. Everyone is going in this time of mourning. And here's how it plays out for the king in verse six. It says, when the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah or heard what Jonah was saying, He stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat in a heap of ashes. From a a royal throne and royal robes to burlap and sitting in ashes. That is the power of sin. That is the destructive nature of sin. That is what sin does. Sin destroys. Sin tears down. Sin, like, sin messes things up. Sin, it's messy. And that's what we see here. Like, what is going on, Like, sin isn't something to play with. Like, It destroys lives. It destroys families. That's what sin does. It destroys. And so what happens is like, he leaves, he gets rid of his, his royal robe, and he puts on sackcloth. And sackcloth would have been a really uncomfortable thing that that they would have wore to kind of symbolize their being in great distress, great mourning, or great grief. And so that's what he does. He puts this on and he goes and he sits in a, a pile of ashes, which would have represented like death and and just this upset, like heartbreak that they are experiencing here. And so that's what they he, that's what happens among the city. Like people are, are doing this. People are going through that. And make sure you don't miss what the king does. There's a simple little phrase, and it says, He stepped down. What is that? It's humility. What is that? That's, that's repentance. He is stepping down from his royal throne, and he is repenting. Repentance requires humility. It is impossible for us to, to repent Without humbling ourselves, it is impossible for us to to repent without stepping down off the throne that we have made. Perhaps we've made ourselves the king of, of, of our own lives. We've decided this is going to be my way and I'm going to do things like I want to do. And for us to repent of that requires us to walk down, to step down from that throne and to repent. The only way for us to repent is to step down. And that's what the king does. He continues on in verse 7. So he doesn't, just, he doesn't just repent. He doesn't just get in burlap and ashes. More than that happens. Verse 7 and 8 says this, The king and his, his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink at all, anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their Violence. And so here's the decision. Here's, the, here's what they're saying is like, every single person in Nineveh, you have to repent. The king is, is very clear. He's making it very, very clear that, that everyone is involved in this. That the reason that this judgment is happening is because every single person is sinful. He's even calling the animals to go through this time of, of mourning. That's how serious this is. That's how, how involved everyone is in this. And catch that phrase, he doesn't just say, hey, sit down in sackcloth and ashes. He doesn't just say, pray. He says this at the end of verse eight. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. That's repentance language. There's really two words that are used in the Hebrew language for the word repent. And one of them means to to be sorry and to change one's mind. And the other one means to, to turn back and return. So here's what we see with repentance. In order for there to be repentance, there has to be change. In order for there to be repentance, some, some, something different has to happen. We can't just feel sorry, feel bad for what we've done. We have to, we have to change our direction. We have to change the way that we're act, acting. We need to, to, be, to return back to the way that we were intended to be. What is required is not remorse, but repentance. Like the people of Nineveh could have heard this message that Jonah is preaching, that God is going to destroy them in 40 days, and they could have been very remorseful. They could have been very sad about that. I'm sure they were. They could have said, man, that's really bad to hear. That's so sad. Would that have changed anything? No. Like that's that's not repentance. Like you can feel bad without Repentance. And there's a difference in, in repentance and remorse. So, so think for example. There's this person, they go out and, and they, 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 get, they get really drunk. And then they come home in a drunken rage and they yell at their family and they speak terrible about them. The next morning they wake up, they, they remember or they learn about what they have done and they feel bad about it. They say, I'm so sorry guys, I'm sorry about that. And the next night they go and do the same thing again. That was remorse. They felt bad. It wasn't repentance. Or think about maybe maybe it's gossip. Maybe you've gossiped about someone and and they call you out on it and they bring it to your attention and be like, hey, I heard you were gossiping about me and you apologize. Say, oh, I'm so sorry about that. And then you go to your next friend and be like, can you believe what so-and-so just said to me? That's not repentance. That's remorse. Maybe you feel bad, but what we need is repentance. Remorse says, I'm sorry you feel that way, or I'm sorry that I hurt your feelings, or I'm sorry you don't see things the same way I do, whereas repentance says, I'm sorry that I hurt you, and here's what I'm going to do to make sure that never happens again. Repentance is, is turning around. It's, it's going a different direction. Like, what God wants from us is not just to feel sorry for our sins. He wants us to turn from our sins. God doesn't want us just to feel bad about the things that we've done. No, He wants us to leave that life of sin and turn away from that. And Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, he captures this idea. Here's what he writes: He says, For the kind of sorrow or, or remorse God wants from us to experience leads us away from sin and revolt or results in salvation. There's no regret for this kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow lacks repentance and results in spiritual death it's not enough just to go through some some spiritual rituals it's not enough for the people of Nineveh just to say okay we feel bad we're gonna fast we are going to weep we're gonna put on sackcloth and we're gonna sit in ashes but we're gonna keep living the same way that we were we were before it's not enough it's not enough just to live out these Christian or these spiritual or righteous actions if there's not heart change, if there's not heart transformation. And here is, and this is, this is what the, the king calls them to, to, to stop your evil ways and to turn from what you were doing. And then verse 10, he says this, or verse 9, it says, Who can tell? Perhaps even yet, God will change his mind and hold back the fierce anger from destroying us. The king realizes something. The king realizes that in order to be saved, that he needs somebody. He needs something undeserved and unmerited. The king realizes that in order for, for God's wrath to be turned, from an order for God's, this destruction not to happen, he needs, he needs a miracle. He needs the same type of miracle that Jonah received. He needs something miraculous to happen. And, and here's the thing I don't want us to miss is that grace and forgiveness are always undeserved and they're always miraculous. Like, we can't earn this. We can't earn grace. We can't earn forgiveness. We can't pray enough. We can't fast enough. We can't sit in sackcloth and ashes long enough to earn forgiveness. It is a gift from God. It is undeserved, unmerited, and it's, it's a miracle. It's a miraculous thing that happens. And so if you remember the message that Jonah preaches is that in 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. And, and the king restates that again in verse nine saying, perhaps God will, will not destroy us like he has said. And the interesting thing about this word destroyed, it can also be interpreted or understood as overturned or turned upside down. And I love that. One way or the other, by repentance or by destruction, Nineveh is going to be turned upside down one way or the other by repentance or destruction Nineveh is never going to be the same it was is going to be different one way or the other and so the first two characters are are Jonah it's the Ninevites I don't want us to miss the main character of this story it's not Jonah it's not the Ninevites the main character of our story you, you may have guessed it it's God perhaps more than than any other chapter in this book, we see ever so clearly the goodness and the compassion of God in this chapter. Like this entire passage is saturated with God's God's heart for renewal, repentance, and compassion. Like it is absolutely saturated with these things. God, this this story is just telling us about God's heart for renewal, for repentance, repentance and for compassion. And so what I want us to do, is I want us to look at each one of these three characteristics that we see playing out about God here in this passage. Let's look at the first one, renewal. So let's look at the very beginning of of chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. You guys... Recognize that, that statement? It's almost identical to what God has already told Jonah in chapter 1. It's, it's the exact same commission that, that Jonah has, or God has given Jonah. Do you guys realize, do you see, notice what's missing there? What's missing is, is God doesn't say, Okay, Jonah, last time I told you this, you ran away. Not going to happen this time because you know what I can do. You're not going to do that again, Jonah. Like God doesn't say that to Jonah. God doesn't, doesn't go and says, Okay, Jonah, here's, what, here's the commission. Go to Nineveh. But I want you to think back to a few hours ago when you were in the belly of the fish and you made your vow to, to fulfill that. Like, Don't forget about that vow you made to me. Don't you forget it. God doesn't do that. He just shows up and he gives Jonah the exact same commission and command that he has already given him. And here's the thing, like, we can't change our past, but we can change the future. And God shows up in his, with his heart for renewal and says to Jonah, he gives him the exact same commission that he gave him earlier. God is offering Jonah a new beginning, he's offering him a clean slate. He is, he's changing, he's renewing Jonah. And it reminds me a lot of the ways of the way Jesus interacted with Peter. Maybe you remember the story in, in John chapter 21. So, so Jesus has died and he's been resurrected and, he's, and they're, on a, they're at a beach. And as they're hanging out there at the beach, like Peter is, is there with all the disciples and Jesus is cooking some fish over a fire. And there's something about smells that cue things in our memory. And so undoubtedly, Peter thought about another fire, that he was at, when he famously denied Jesus three times. And and maybe he's thinking about that. And in in this moment, like Peter, he can't get past that. Like Peter has has done what he never wanted to do. He has become what he never wanted to be. He has denied Jesus three times. and, And here he is, another chance to sitting by a fire. And Jesus looks at Peter three times and he says, Peter, do you love me? And each time Peter replies, yes, Jesus, you know I love you. And Jesus replies, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, take care of my lambs. Once for every time that Peter has denied Jesus, Jesus is telling Peter, he's reminding him, Peter, you're still on the team. Peter, you may have messed up, but I still have plans for you. Peter, my heart is for renewal, and you're still on the team. There's still work to be done. Isn't it comforting to know that we have a God who doesn't bail on us? We have a God who doesn't just throw us away and get rid of us. We don't have a God who keeps score. We have a God whose desire is to renew and to restore people. One of the things that I love to remember about God is that he forgets. God doesn't remind Jonah of his sins. God doesn't remind Jonah of his past failure. He doesn't remind Jonah of the vow. He doesn't remind him of the rebellion. He doesn't remind him of everything that he did wrong. He just says, Jonah, here's what I want you to do. He gives him a commission. And he calls him to the same command and the same commission. And here's the thing about God. Here's what, here's what I'm learning. Is, is God is not a God of second chances. Just think about that for a second. God is not a God of second chances. God is a God of another chance. And if you're anything like me, that is really good news because you have blown the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance more, more times than you, than you wish. And so God, his heart beats for renewal. And That's what he is doing for Jonah. God's heart is for renewal. He's renewing Jonah. He wants to renew Nineveh. That is why he is sending Jonah there. So the first characteristic we see of God is, is renewal. The next characteristic that we're going to see is his heart for repentance. Let's read verse 10. When God saw what they had done and how they had had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. You think about this. If repentance wasn't an option, Jonah never would have gone in the first place. Like if repentance wasn't an option, God would have never sent Jonah. He could have just destroyed them and and been done with it. But God's heart is for repentance. He wanted the people of Nineveh to repent. And what we see throughout Scripture is every time we see this judgment of God, the desire, the end result, the desire is always repentance. Like God isn't just punishing people because it's fun. Like as a parent, I don't go and put Ava in the corner and, and listen to her cry because it's fun and it's enjoyable. Like, no, the opposite. We do that because we desire her to to do what is right, to repent, to turn from the, the sin or the evil or the wrong that she has done and do what is right. And that's what God is doing here. He doesn't want to destroy Nineveh. He doesn't want to do that. And last week, Stephen talked about this. is like, God wants a relationship with you. But if what you want is life apart from him, Eventually, like he'll give you what you want, but that's not what he wants. He wants relationship with us. And so when God saw their repentance, he relented. When God saw that the Ninevites had turned, he changed his mind. And there may be nothing that moves the heart of God faster than repentance. When he sees repentance, God comes running. Maybe you remember the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. It's probably one of Jesus's, probably his most famous parable. And, and in this story, there's, this, there's these two sons, and the younger son says to the father, who, and the fa- he says, like, I, give me my money, give me my inheritance. Basically, I wish you were dead. And the father gives him his inheritance, and the younger son runs away, and, and he goes, and he spend, blows all his money on wild living, and he's made a mess of his life. And eventually, he comes to his senses, and he realizes, and he remembers, like, hey, there's a bunch of servants in my father's house who are eating better than me, and so I'm going to go back home and just try to become a servant. And so he begins his his journey back home, and, and one of my favorite parts of this entire parable is in verse 20. Here's what it says. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Like, this passage is meant, this, this, this verse is meant for, like, shock and awe. Because here's the thing, like, in that day, like, men did not run. Especially men of status, like this guy would have been. Like, it was undignified for a man to run. And so when Jesus says, like, this man runs, everybody would have just had this collective grasp, a gasp. Like, that's not what my father doesn't run. My dad doesn't run. But there's a, there's a phrase in here that just catches my attention every time. It says, while he was still a long way off. And here's the thing, friends. That's, that's about the best that we are ever gonna do is be a long way off. God doesn't expect us to, to get everything together, to, to fix ourselves completely before he's willing to, to enter into relationship with us. God isn't waiting for us to to get everything right, to cross every T and dot every I before he is willing to, to save us. No, when he sees repentance, he comes running. He doesn't expect us to clean ourselves up and make everything all right. He knows like we can't without him. And so God's heart, it's for renewal. God's heart is for repentance. And this week, as I was reading this passage just over and over and over again, I just started jotting down a list of things that it was teaching me about God. Lessons that I was learning about God, and and here's nine of them. I'm just going to run through these really quick. Is, Is he is a God of another chance. His heart for forgiveness isn't changed. He forgets our sins, our rebellion, and our wrongdoing. He desires repentance. He hears our prayers. He is sovereign. He sees. He acts. He is moved. And every single one of these characteristics, you know what they, they equal? Is he's compassionate. And that is who, who he is. That is what is oozing out of this passage is just the compassion that God has. God, he is compassionate to Jonah. God is compassionate to the people of Nineveh. God is compassionate to me. God is compassionate to you. And this is the characteristic like, that makes Jonah upset. This is the characteristic that Jonah is going to be upset about, or to God about in the next chapter. I mean, compassion, it is who God is. In Exodus 34, when God is describing himself to Moses, this is one of the ways he describes himself. He's, he's compassionate. And here's the thing. Like Jonah's rebellion and Jonah's reluctance, it doesn't change God's mind about going to, to Nineveh. You, you, you notice that? Like, when, when Jonah is reluctant and doesn't want to go to Nineveh, God isn't like, well, if, if this prophet of mine thinks Nineveh is so bad, maybe they're worse off than I realized. Or, or maybe, the, maybe I shouldn't save them. Like, it doesn't change God's mind. No, what changes God's mind, what changes God, is the repentance of the people of Nineveh. And here's the thing. We've talked about this time and time again throughout this series, is, is that we have to be mirror people. Like, what we have to do as we read the book of Jonah is we have to read it maybe with a Bible in one hand and a mirror in the other. Because we have to be able to, to see ourselves in this story and see what is happening. And if we look at this story, like, a lot of us, we are, we are the Ninevites. We are the people who have to have some violence to repent of. Maybe, you're, maybe, you're violent, maybe what you need to repent of isn't, isn't violence. Maybe you don't go and like try to torture people like these people did. Maybe, maybe you don't go and put fish hooks in people's mouths and lead them around. Probably not. But what about, what about gossip? Is that something that you need to repent of? What about pride? Is that something you need to repent of? What about the, the sexual ethics that you're living out? Is that something that you need to repent of and refocus and realign with the with the word of word, the word of God? What about some relationships, some God, some relationships that aren't God honoring in your life? Are there some of those that you need to repent of and turn from and turn back towards God? The only way to experience God's compassion is for us to come off of our throne and bow before his throne. The only way for us to experience the compassion of the Father is for us to, to stop making ourselves God. It's to stop like, living our own, our own desires and our own wants and to truly align our lives with what He desires and what He wants from us. And this week, I, I was doing some reading about the difference between sympathy and empathy. Like, they're, they're words that sound a lot alike and there are a lot of similarities between them, but there's a stark difference between the two. So so sympathy is is feeling bad for someone, whereas empathy is is more of like getting involved in the pain that someone else is experiencing. So think about it as as this. Someone has fallen into a hole. A sympathetic person may walk up to the hole and be like, man, you're in a hole there. Feel so bad for you. I'll pray for you. And and you could feel bad and and walk away. That's, That's sympathetic. An empathetic person goes and sees the person in a hole, and they tie a rope to a tree, and they come down in the hole with you. They feel bad for you. They help you. They give you some perspective, and they help you get out of the hole. And As you think about this, God isn't just sympathetic about our sinful condition. God doesn't look at the, the mess that we've made of our lives and just say, man, I feel so bad for them. So sorry. Good luck. No, God was, God was empathetic. God had such deep empathy that he was willing to send his son and his son was willing to leave the riches of heaven, to leave the throne, to come to earth, to get into the mess with us, to restore us, to renew us, to make us right with him. Because Jesus left his throne, we can stand before the throne of God. Because Jesus has left his throne, we have access to God. If you remember, when Jesus died on the cross, when, when, the, when, he, when he's dead, there's the, the curtain in the temple tears in two. The, the curtain that was meant to separate the most holy place, meant to separate God from people. And Jesus has brought us in full access to God. He's, we are able to, to be into the presence of God because Jesus was willing to leave his throne. And the writer of Hebrews captures it this way. He says, we can boldly enter the throne room of God to receive the grace when we need it the most because of what Jesus has done. So God is a God for renewal. His heart beats for repentance. And overall, he is compassionate. He's compassionate to you. He's compassionate to me. And it's my prayer that if you haven't accepted this, this compassion, now is the time to repent of your sins and turn to him. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for the way.